Welcome to the next of our series of podcasts around understanding the rural professional context. One of the things we're hoping to do in this series is talk to key people in the field, uh, researchers, practitioners, or just people out and about who work in these spaces. This week, we've caught up for a chat with Professor Adrian Pickley. Now, Adrian is former Minister of Education in New South Wales and a member for a rural electorate based in Griffith. Uh, He's also now the director of the Gonski Institute for Education uh, based at the New South Wales University, which has a particular focus on equity in education and one of Adrian's key issues and key focus in that role with the Gonski Institute and in his former time as a minister in education has been rural education and issues pertaining to rural communities. So we caught up for a chat, and the first question I asked Adrian was, how would he describe or come to understand the idea of rurality? This is what he had to say. That's a, that's a good question. I, for me, I mean, I've lived in the country all of my life. So I've lived in Western New South Wales all of my life. So I, I certainly live that uh, rural, the rural life, whatever that might mean. But you know, I, I think culturally in Australia, it's quite a distinct. It's quite a distinct thing. It's quite a distinct part of our culture, uh, as opposed to metropolitan. I have a lot of friends from school and university who live in, who live in Sydney, live in the country, and it, you know there is a different mindset and a different culture about it. You know, whilst of course we're all Australians, no, I think there is certainly a cultural distinction between people who, who who live in rural parts of Australia and those who live in in metropolitan. And it's also kind of, I think, part of the deeper Australian culture. You know, we do associate a lot with the kind of, you know, man from Snowy River, um, you know, beach and bush kind of um, um, attitudes and, and, and culture in Australia. So there's a slight sort of a romanticising about living in the country. Um, so, yeah, I, I certainly think it's very distinct. But what characterises it, I really think is space is is, is um, the space between people, the space that's not filled by traffic and, and commuter trains and, and lots of apartments. Uh, you know, to me, that's, it's one of the assets of rural, uh, but, you know, it does come at a, at a cost. You know, to live in the country is, is wonderful. As to, be able to, to be able to be, um, you know, uncluttered by traffic, et cetera, is a big asset. But you know, then you do. But then you offer that you have. That comes at the cost of sometimes accessibility to other things. If you want to, if you want to travel, of course, um, there might be limited travel routes, particularly by air. Um, access to other um, cultural type um, events. Um, if you want to go to something at the opera house, or your kids you want to take your kids to the opera house, or the Luna Park or to the zoo in Melbourne, it's it's a long way away. So it does come at, at that cost, but. I think people actually like the culture of, of rural and, and that's why people do choose to live in the country. Cool. It's, um, I like that notion of there's a, tra- there's a trade-off there that you, you mentioned. I think yeah. um, it's, I find a difficult question to answer when you say to people what's, what's rural mean to you because we take it for granted if we live there or we often uh, ascribe it to somebody else by virtue of where they live. And you, yeah. you went straight to it's, it's a cultural difference. Because when we look at um, education, health, etc., we often identify the rural by its location geographically or by other statistical factors. 
So you, you've talked there on, on the culture. Can I push you a little bit to try to maybe unpack that culture a bit? Because I noticed the other thing you mentioned, you, like the Mammoth River and that Australian image, but um, we also have the popular culture around Waking Fright, Wolf Creek, uh, et cetera, <laughs> which is the other cultural image that comes through there in um, some other people's imaginations. So uh, can I can uh, I push you a bit more on the cultural side? Well, I think that's a, that. You know, I, I wouldn't say the Wolf Creek thing kind of springs to mind for, for me, and I, and hopefully not for most people. But I think the cultural thing is is you know, when you live in in the country, uh, whether that's in even in a major regional centre or or a small town, uh, or even on a on a property, it's your relationships with other people, and I think they are different to people who who, do, who live in the in the city. People, people in the city, of course, they have community, etc. But I think it's a bit different in that. I think, and I can only I'll speak for myself. You know, the, the the pleasures of living in a community where you can, where you see people over and over again, so you circulate in the same community. If you live in, if you live in Parramatta and you go to school, you go to work in in North Sydney, you you're not going to tend to run into people who actually live in your community. Whereas, I think when you live in the country community. You live and work and socialise within the same community. Now, some people find that a bit oppressive in that, in that people tend to know who you are and know what you're doing and there's the gossip about what then people know what everyone else is doing. So that's not always a positive, but, but it's also a positive. I mean, you can go into a... Sometimes you can go into a shop and not have enough money and say, look, I'll be back, you know, hey, Gary, I'll be back in 20 minutes. I'll, I'll go home and nip home and get my wallet. People trust you. So there is that kind of those, those kind of greater aspects of interpersonal relationship and interpersonal trust. You notice that when you walk down the street in a, in a country town, as opposed to when yeah. you walk down the street in a, in a city, in a country, and, and people make fun of, sometimes make fun of country people in the city because they're walking around with their eyes up and looking either at the buildings or at the people coming towards them. Because when you walk down a main street in, in a country town, you're expecting to run into people you know or run into people you're related to. And if you don't make eye contact and at least say hello, it can be, can be, you know, can be rude. Be rude, yeah. Upset the next but people. Party. So, yeah, that's right. So, so people in, uh, you know, people in the country, even the way they walk down the street, they look because they're expecting to see people they know. I can walk yeah. into a cafe or a restaurant in Griffith, cool. and and I I know that I recognise people there. Whereas when you walk in in a, in a, in a city, you don't often that doesn't often happen. Now, not to say it doesn't happen. There are certainly very lovely kind of village type communities in, in parts of, of the city. Uh, and, and, you know, they're, they're great as well. But one of those, mm. I think one, that's one of the features of living in, in rural towns are those close, um, those close relationships. Excellent. Thank you. Um, before I ask you about education specifically, you were a, a member of government and a, a minister in government for a while, um, representing a, a rural electorate. It, what are some of the, the issues that emerge in rural communities that sort of, uh, you know, a, a impact on those communities' prosperity, maybe the opportunities and the things that are going that are go really well and some of the challenges that uh, often have to be addressed? I think the, the important thing here is to not categorise, you know, with a question like that, it's, it's important to categorise places in the country differently. So the kinds of things that would impact on an economy like, or, or, a, or a community like Tamworth or Shepparton or, you know, um, um, uh, you know, big, big regional centres in, in, 
in Australia are different to what happens in a smaller regional centre of sort of eight to 10,000. And this, again, is different to what would impact on a town of 500. So, so I mean, one of the, one of the challenges in, in maybe those middle-sized communities is, is often about... Um, one of the challenges in those middle-sized communities is, is, is actually just getting qualified staff in a lot of those places, you know, just staffing is, is a challenge. Skilled staffing, health, education, police, um, uh, accounting services, legal services, they're often difficult to, to attract staff. And that actually has an impact on A, the economy, because often then that work or those services get done somewhere else. So you lose that, that, those, those dollars going around in, um, in the community. But you also then lose the actual human capital of the people who would otherwise fill those positions. So if you don't have lawyers and accountants in your, in your town, you just don't have lawyers and accountants. It's not that accounting and, and legal work doesn't get done, but you actually don't have lawyers and account, accountants yeah. on the local council or filling the local, local rotary or, 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 or Soroptimus clubs. Yeah. So I think, uh, they, I think they do suffer from the social, that social capital thing of, of this, the difficulty of attracting um, staff like that. And some of the businesses, some of the regional businesses, that, that do exist, what they what they tend to do, and I think this is is a is a is a is a concern, is that the lower skilled jobs will remain in the country, in the regions, and the higher skilled jobs, so the head office will tend to be in a, you know mm. either a regional centre or a metropolitan centre. I think that's a really unfortunate um, development in the last ten or tw or twenty years, mm. because. What you want in any community is a mix of skill of skill levels, because then what you don't have is the lawyers' kids or the doctors' kids or the accountants' kids going to the local school as well. It's and, about that social mix, those, yeah. yeah, and those people then involved in you know school <laughs> councils or, or, or PNCs or whatever they are. Yeah. So I think they do suffer from that. I think in very small communities, I think one of the risks at the moment is um, housing is very cheap in some of those very small communities. What that does attract are people who are looking for very low cost housing. Um, who sometimes don't bring a great deal of social capital to those towns and um, can have ne negative consequences. Um, you know, and in, and in larger centres, I mean, what, what, what we would really like to see is some of... And, we, and we've already, we already said to, to an extent, their economies become big enough to be um, self-sustaining so they are a little bit protected from kind of, you know, the loss of one business or or, you know, other external shocks like that. So well, places like Wagga and Dubbo and Tamworth yeah. and Shepherd and places like that, Rockhampton, they're getting certainly big enough um, to sustain individual, individual shocks. And the bigger they get, the more attractive they are for, yeah. for um, as I say, skilled, skilled employees to live. I mean, it'd be nice to be a little bit more like the United States where you've got some very big, well, not necessarily even very big, but decent-sized, you know, in the, in the hundreds of thousands, off, not on the coast. Yeah. Um, very different um, social and spatial geography because you mentioned spatial dimension earlier and you talked about size there as well. So yeah. interesting disconnect, isn't it, that um, you talk about difficulty in attracting people to some size communities when earlier we were talking about the benefits of living in some communities. So yeah. some, there's something about what, why, we, what we value there and what people value that we need to try to um, refocus on perhaps. And why I say you can't give an answer to like that, just a general answer like that, because... 
they're all they're all different. Yeah, they're different sizes actually. Mm-hmm. Just different size communities. I mean, a Wagga is different to hay. Is, is is different to is different to um, something really Boree Creek, for example. They're they're, mm. they're much different communities. So you can't answer those. You have to answer those questions by almost segregation of of of, of type of community. Mm. Excellent, and that's actually but one too, of the too one often of the... the rhetoric. Too often the rhetoric is actually about metro and regional. Like regional is some kind of singular um, um, singular singular geography, and and it's not. No, I mean, it's even coastal and inland. Issues. Coastal inland, they're very different. Yeah, and massive differences within cities as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like um, it's really. I'm really happy to hear you say that because that's one of the issues we're pushing in in the work is around you know, that every rural community is different. It's just constituted differently, and we need to yeah. understand how that comes together. So that's yeah. really, uh, really an important thing to reiterate and focus on. Um, yeah. So you are. Uh, you were Minister for Education for, for a fair period of time and now directing the Gonski Institute at New South Wales Uni, uh, looking at educational equity. Mm-hmm. What are some of the challenges educationally that um, you, you've come across in some of these communities? So, so I think there's two, again, there's two things here. There's, there's what, what happens inside schools and what happens outside schools. And no, no doubt the performance of students and their outcomes, both academic and well-being, very strongly influenced by what happens outside communities. And I just don't think we know really enough about that, about the different, the different expectations that communities have and, and, and cultures have. When I say cultures, individual community cultures have about, about education. Um, now, there is, the, the, the data does show to an extent that regional communities have lower expectations about the performance of students and the the potential for those students to go on to further education, whether it be vocational or higher education. And that's partly driven just by geography, that to go to a university, unless you live in a town that has a university, it's very expensive mm, and, you know, and very difficult. So mm. the expectations are a bit lower. So, you know, outside the school gate, there are big influences. There are big influences there. And just the socioeconomic nature of some of these <coughs> communities, say some of these very small communities, very low SES, um, in some cases getting getting lower, uh, and of course yeah, that then yeah. impacts on the students that, that turn up to school every day. And yeah. then you've got inside the school gate. So then we ask, you know, what do we do, or how do we know what do we do to get schools operating at one hundred percent? So one hundred percent capacity, one hundred percent capability. So how do we make sure they've got the staff they need, the staffing mix they need, all of those allied um, services that schools need? Are they getting cooperation from health? Are they getting cooperation from family and community services? You know, it's an interesting question to ask school principals. Do they think their school is operating at 100%? And not often would they say, yes, it is. But even when a school operates at 100% doesn't mean you get fantastic outcomes. Because because of those um, factors that are influencing from yeah. from the outside, so uh, the challenge of again attracting staff, teaching staff, yeah. leaders, the turnover of, of yeah. staff, now, and and part of that is is driven by the perception that all of regional Australia is is on either on fire or in drought. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's very easy yeah. for these sort of cultural generalisations. Um, as I say, bore, you know, teaching in um, teaching in um, 
um, Finley is a lot different to teaching in, in Wagga. We're, we're Wagga with a 50 or 60,000 population mm. with everything you might want in terms of um, services and restaurants, etc. Um, it's much different to Finley, but people do have this perception that, you know, the regions are the regions and it's difficult and, um, yeah. you know, it gets difficult to attract them. And we see this in the, in the often the policy responses that are often uh, driven by that notion of the regions versus the city. And we're slowly getting yeah. to that understanding at policy levels of there being uh, all the differences that you refer about. But these problems yeah. have been going on for as long as we can we can remember as well. So, yeah, I think, think yeah. maybe maybe the new direction is this this notion that you've been referring to that's been coming uh, more and more through of late that that notion of difference rather than yeah. the formality of the region. yeah that's right so that's right. Yeah, there are some really challenging places in the region, but then there are some really fantastic places, very strong economies, mm. um, strong, much stronger than many parts of, of Sydney and Melbourne, Brisbane. Yeah. But that's not the general perception um, out there. No, and similar within the cities, in all those cities, you have places that have challenges and places that have a lot more opportunities. Mm. So mm. I think this, this disaggregation notion is um, maybe something where we can try to make some inroads. I guess the last thing I'll ask you then is um, uh, if you could uh, wave your magic wand and uh, and do one thing in the in the rural space, what would you what would you do? I mean, it's a it's a really great question, and somebody asked me a similar question only a couple of days ago. Um, one would be if you could get if you could get actually the right mix of of staff in schools, um, so the right mix of experience and 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 youth and um, uh, well, you know, the, the right experience of staff expertise, but then um, uh, you know you want you want a mix of young staff as well with different ideas and, and different knowledges, particularly around technology. You know, could you get now? What if you could get that right mix right across all regional schools? But the second thing would be that 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 people living in the regions had the same have the same opportunities as people who live in, in metropolitan areas the same opportunities to just hop on a train for 20 minutes and go to a university or hop on a train and go to a uh, and do your TAFE course rather than having to spend four nights away uh, yeah. a couple of hundred kilometers away um, to do your um, you know your butchery apprenticeship that's you know that would certainly drive the a change in the expectations that parents have yep. about about education and i think that would have a uh, a profound impact on the outcomes for students cool professor pickley thank you for uh, your time and sharing your experiences with us this afternoon it's greatly appreciated my pleasure it's my favorite thing to talk about so that was our conversation with adrian pickley i really like the way that he discussed rurality as this this notion that is distinct and different in a cultural sense so really getting at that definition of the rural which is multifaceted and drawing on uh, different uh, community understandings and differences between communities and community types got into a little bit there about size and the impact of size on community and got a little bit there about the relationship to demographics and communities now i find that really interesting because it sets up where we're going to go in one of our uh, coming talks with uh, the rural social space model 
set up by Joe Reed, Bill Green and, and colleagues, which brings in this notion of rurality as occurring as a, a multifaceted concept of a geographic, a cultural and a, um, and, a, and a social element. So it's a really nice way of, uh, of introducing those ideas. And I think they're bringing in the idea of education and communities and that what happens in both health and education and the other services, because he was mentioning their legal, uh, accounting and so forth, it's not just about that industry, it's about that community. So it really shows we've got to be thinking of this as a holistic notion of how the rural is constructed and then how services interact with that. So that was really uh, useful for me at this point in the series because it set up a range of things where we're going to go to next. So until then...